you want to be able to really understand those those fields that you're involved in on a deep level, not just the surface level, but where you really go deep with it. And then when you start to record yourself talking about these things and producing some promotional content and videos and that kind of stuff or products, then you will really be poised to be able to uh, to make a dent and really help and help a lot of people. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Fire start your own health movement. And now your host, founder of Juice Guru Institute and best-selling author, Steve Prusak. Well, welcome back to another edition of Juicing Preneur Radio. I'm your host, Steve Prusak. It's great to be with you. We've got our friend, Professor Spira. He's become such a, a great uh, leader in the movement, and I've been really excited to follow his work. He carries on the work of one of my greatest mentors, uh, Arnold Errett, from way back in the day, and is keeping the dream alive with the work he's doing uh, in mucus-free life. He's really starting a revolution around mucus free eating, mucusless diet healing system and carrying on that work. And it's so much needed. You're going to love the work he's doing. We're going to hear about the journey he's, he's on, the journey he continues to this day, uh, republishing the books, annotating the books and adding, uh, updating them, making them work in this day and age, which has been a, a real blessing. His website is mucusfreelife.com. Uh, and he's doing so much work. And I, I've got his bio here. We're going to have it up under the show notes at juicingpreneur.com. Uh, Let's welcome to the show right now, Professor Spira. Greetings. How you doing, Steve? Professor Spira, thank you uh, for being here. It, it's, a, it's a pleasure, a privilege. I, I'm excited to be here. Well, let's dive in. Uh, how did you how did the journey come about? Like, did you always have the entrepreneurial bug, so to say? Or how does this all start for you? So my earliest recollection of of the concept of owning my own business was when I was very young. My aunt bought me a toy called My First Business. And I'm three or four years old, something like that. And I can still remember this toy. It was like in a red kind of box and you open it up and it had some office supplies in there. And there was, you know, little like to-do lists and had some places where you could put writing utensils and just all this sort of stuff to have a little office. And I, I enjoyed playing business. You know, so that was something I, as an only child and I grew, grew up spending time, this was, I kind of split my time between my mother who was in and out of the hospital all the time because she was very ill and my aunt and grandmother. So when I was with my aunt and grandmother, that's when I would do a lot of this kind of play. They really supported anything like that. Just there was this creativity along with this, this business interest that I had. And so I would uh, play with them and I would set up my little <laughs> stuff on the table, my, my first business. And, you know, I would act like I'm writing things and selling things to them. Uh, I would, I started a, <laughs> I started a, a fake little uh, ice ice cream truck in my living room where I turned over a table, put covers over it and and sort of pushed it while I sang like a, uh, uh, <laughs> like a, uh, 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 ice cream truck and would sell stuff to imaginary ice cream to my grandma, you know, and would, would weigh things. And, uh, and so that, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So that was always just real fun. Now, just to me, that, 
was just a fun thing that made sense. It's like, Oh, I have my own, my own little business, you know? And later in elementary school, uh, you know, I had, I had trouble early on learning to read, you know, I was kind of a slow reader. My math skills were bad. And so I was made to feel pretty dumb within the type of educational system that I was a part of, you know, the public education system in the United States and Ohio. And so I, I just, I always was like, not this, this, something's wrong. Something's wrong with this system. I felt it when I was real young and I always kind of was, I was a little jealous when the, the so-called smart kids would kind of go off. They would have these special classes or these little P whatever they called it. These, uh, uh, things where they would leave and go and have this fun and then come back. And I'm like, well, why do they get to do that? What's, what's so special about them? You know? And, um, when I was in sixth grade, I entered in the, uh, what used to be called the invention convention, but it was that year, the toy convention. So you actually invent a toy and put together a poster presentation and you're judged. So I invented a toy called a game called dance fever. And it, it's, it almost reminds me of some of the stuff that's out today where kid where you know, with the electronic games or kids dance along and stuff like that. But basically you had a board and that was still the cassette days back then. And so there was a cassette with music and you would wind up shoes. It would go on to a number on the board that corresponded with the cassette number and you would find that song and dance to it. And then your friends and, and family playing with you would grade you on your dancing. That was the concept that I had come up with. So I won, uh, I got first place in for entrepreneurship and first place for my game in my school and went on to uh, regional competitions at the Kaufman Foundation, which is uh, promotes entrepreneurship education. and in doing, in doing that process, that was the first time I ever created a business plan. They actually took us aside and we met with some local entrepreneurs and they taught us how to put together a business plan that we would then present to potential investors or any, something like that. So, and I guess what I'm like, I'm 11, what am I, 11 or 12 years old, just a, around that sixth grade area. So I go to regional competitions. I get second runner up. Uh, another thing that we do there that's sort of interesting with what I do on YouTube is we, uh, that was the first time I really produced a serious video, uh, like a commercial, <laughs> you know, that was basically, it was kind of like a little infomercial for my product, which went along, which was also evaluated. And so, uh, so after that, the uh, Coffin Foundation was even interested in if I wanted to go to school for business, they were talking with uh, with my parents about potentially giving me some, some grants and funding and scholarships and things. If, if I wanted to go in that direction and I ultimately didn't in terms of formal education, I didn't go down a business realm, uh, that mm -hmm. way, but that would have been high school. Like you would have gone there for high school. Well, no, like college. So even though I was, this was before I was in high school, they, they, if I wanted to go to go to high school and then ultimately go to college and major in, some kind of business related or entrepreneur, entrepreneurial related field, they may have get, given me some kind of scholarship. 
would have been earmarked already. <laughs> you know, that early on, ear, earmarked it. But my aunt specifically said she didn't want to, she's always been really good with letting me explore a lot of different things. And so I was very active in all kinds of different things in high school and in junior high from sports, the Boy Scouts, really into Boy Scouts, Order of the Arrow, a uh, n- number of other organizations. And so she, she never pressured me into one direction saying, okay, you should do this or you should do that. And so I ultimately was able to choose the direction I wanted, which was to become a professional musician. And so that's what I pursued when I went to, went to college. But, uh, but I always had that entrepreneurial kind of bug. And I also had this idea of, and, and had seen enough entrepreneurs talking because I, I would always kind of pay attention to a lot of the infomercials, you know, the nineties infomercials back in the day, you know, I would I sit there and watch and analyze the commercials, you know, I mean, what kid is sitting there analyzing infomercials, but I would sit there and analyze you know, the emotional kind of content, the way that they present the information, the way just, I just sort of took all that in and, and thought about it critically. And I, and a, f- a few different people kind of said, well, if you really want to be on your own business, you don't have to go to college for that or major in uh, something, you know, it's, it's a whole different realm. And so I'm like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Uh, then I, for a short period of time, I participated in a multi-level marketing. And this was right after like senior year of high school, uh, a multi-level marketing thing that was been called Excel Communications. I don't know, it's not there anymore. But basically, you uh, kind of like Amway for electronics. You, you, you know, getting, getting your friends and family to get into the phones and that kind of stuff. Uh, where they, instead of buying phone service through AT&T, they get it through you and you get the kickback. And so, uh, so I did that for a minute and I, and and I I learned a lot from doing that, but I also knew that I, I didn't want to, that's not the kind of business that I wanted. You know, I wanted my own business, not to sort of be a, a, be a retailer kind of thing. And so, um, so yeah, so then when I, once I went to college, I was really focusing then on education and becoming an artist. So I was, was thinking a lot less of that, about business. And even at that time, there was a part of the spiritual journey I, I was on. I was thinking, well, maybe all of that interest that I have in business is just that I'm not, so, I wasn't really supposed to do that. You know, because uh, like, I, I kind of got so deep into practicing the mucus's diet and into the, the, the art there, you know, and sometimes if you're an artist, they, there's this idea of, which is, is sort of lame and not really true, but it's just more of this myth of if, if you're too concerned with business and it it's makes your art not pure and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, I've, I've fed into a little bit of that in college, you know, it's hard, hard not to. Um, and so, but I also noticed that I, once I started to understand the music business, I was kind of like, I don't really want to, I don't want to do the things that most musicians have to do to be able to make a living with music. I want to make the music that I want to make. 
I don't necessarily want to work in a, do a lot of studio work, playing other people's stuff. I want to do my own mute. Nothing wrong with that. I just, not what I wanted to do. Uh, or, or tour, you know, I had the opportunity to even potentially tour with a couple pretty famous groups, but that's just not what I wanted to do. And so I started thinking more about marketing and seeing how there's so many great musicians and artists, but uh, so many of them have no clue how to market themselves. And so they ultimately just are great musicians that are remain local, uh, you know, local musicians and they'll have some other job or, you know, during the week they work someplace and, or maybe they teach. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of teachers in the, uh, you know, that go and get things and music. And then uh, there's not enough performing gigs. And so they teach. And so I just didn't want to really do that. And uh, at least not, not teach like on that level, on that high school level. Uh, so I stayed in school, worked to get my first master's degree. And that's when I taught then at Northern Kentucky University uh, for two years. So I got that, that teaching. Uh, that was when I was 23 years old and I taught for two years as a, a professor of music. At, at Northern Kentucky. And so I learned so much doing that. Uh, Cause, and, and not just about pedagogy and curriculum, but also about entrepreneurship and salesmanship, because I, I would br- always bring a bit of showmanship into my lecture process. So the students were kind of interested in what I, in my lectures, they kind of look forward to it. Cause I wasn't just going up there, just sort of being boring and talking, you know, I always tried to have some interesting slant. And, but I related that in some ways to, to, to sales, you know, or into marketing, you know, I, I see a connection in turn from, from educate. And I know a lot of people, some educators like, Oh, you can't, don't think about it like that. That's again, impure. There's all these, these purity tests all over the place. But to me, uh, the best educators are actually great sales salesmen. You know, they're able to uh, convey the information in a way that sticks with you. And so I, uh, uh, I, tr- I really kind of hone those skills as a, as an educator, uh, then came to Columbus. They were going to offer me a full-time teaching gig. And I was like, I'm not really ready for that. So I pursued my PhD, came up to, uh, Ohio state and then, uh, you know, worked, uh, went through that process, which is, uh, you know, anybody that's been through PhD program, you know, that that's, uh, the intensity of that and how that pushes you to just develop a lot of skills that would be very hard for you to develop just on your own. And, uh, went through that process. But before I graduated, I thought to myself, I, I, instead of graduating and immediately going into teaching, which I could have, I had those those opportunities were there, but I didn't want to do that. Again, I like to have my own, <laughs> my own freedom answered to myself and, and, uh, you know, my customers. So I decided to essentially take some of my student, some student loans that I was taking out at the time and use them as business loans. So, and that is when I developed the, uh, uh, and, 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 and I should say, you know, this, this whole time since I'd gotten to college and I was really getting deeper and deeper in the mucus diet and deeply studying it. 
and wanting to put that information out into the world. And I was like, the, one of the reasons that nobody knows who Arnold Arad is, is because there has been a lack of, uh, of promotion, you know, a lack of marketing in a, in, in a big, in a big kind of way. And so I wanted to try to change that. And so I was like, okay. And, and I thought that I would maybe do some of these things later in life. Cause I, that was the one thing that I had to kind of go with the flow. Cause it made sense to start doing it, doing it, uh, at, toward the end of my, my school, uh, uh student career. But, uh, initially I had thought, well, this is something that after I do my music and tour the world doing that, I'll come back and I'll, uh, promote the diet, but it's sort of turning out to be the opposite, <laughs> you know, like that. And, uh, so I spent a couple years, I, uh, that's when I wrote the books and, you know, published the, the first books that we published and got the website going, you know, started off as ArnoldEra.us when it was more just before I got serious about branding and serious about really, uh, trying to put this information out there. I just wanted to make it available uh, but then once I started saying, you know, I think I can really do this. I can put this information out there. There's a need for it. There's a demand that that nobody's really filling in terms of transition because nobody's talking about transition at the at the time. I can't think of anybody that was really talking about transition diet in a systematic way, the way that Arnold Era talks about it. And so I'm not like, all right, there, there's a place for us here. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, then I just went through the, the, the process of that. Everybody that is an entrepreneur knows how hard that is when you're trying to, cause you got to try to figure everything out. No, no. I mean, that's not the happily ever after right there, right? That's, <laughs> that's not like professor Spear lived happily ever after now. Not, not at all. That's like, okay, you, you decided to go down, <laughs> down. You, you've gone down the road, less travel, yeah, the road, less travel. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so that, that, that's awesome. Is, yeah. And it's interesting how little, you know, little things like I had had a, a, a little consultation with someone here and there and, and that uh, I had met with somebody that really was saying, you need to, you need to stop talking about Arnold Eric Cause he's, you know, kind of dead. Cause I'm just kind of his, historic minded. And so I like to really bring a lot of history and things. And so I get excited about historical figures more so maybe than people in the mainstream. But so there was somebody that was like, hey, you really need to kind of stop focusing as much on Arnold Eric and promote yourself, promote your brand. And so at that time, I actually created uh, the uh, profspira.us, which if you go to the oldest videos, <laughs> you'll see that. And so I experimented with that, but that still didn't feel right. I'm like, ah, this still isn't really it. And that's when I created uh, Mucus Free Life. Cause that made the most sense to me. We're talking about mucuslessness or being mucus free. That's kind of self-explanatory. And we're focusing on the lifestyle, not just a diet to mess around with, or not just a cleanse, but an actual lifestyle. So, okay. Mucus free life. So that was sort of a way that I, I got some, a consultation, got some information from someone that said one thing and it did make sense to maybe move away from, you know, the Arnold US that approach, because that wasn't working uh, in, in the United States. That actually worked kind of kind of well in, the, in, in Italy, but not here. So 
but that this the Professor Spira angle, just putting everything behind that also didn't feel right. So I just said, created a, uh, a third option, uh, which is where Nugus Free Life came from. And that became the brand. And you know, I kind of put, uh, you know, put everything under that umbrella. So what were some of the struggles getting it off the ground? Um, obviously, you're balancing the music with this, but then you started to go full force into it. What, what were some of the challenges on the road? A lot of the challenges are doing the research to see if you have an idea of what you want to do. And sometimes it's kind of fuzzy. It's like you can see it and you're like, OK, I, I think I can, I can publish my own books and but how am I going to do it? Then you start researching. OK, there's there's several different platforms that offer self-publishing. Then, OK, well, what are the requirements there? Then I say, OK, you have to have a have a word document if you, you have be able to have a word document or really a PDF that created in word that is properly formatted. And if that so that's sort of the first step. And so it's like these little technical things that you have to figure out, like it's, it becomes your business to know all of those little details. Uh, those little technical details. And when you're doing it all yourself like that, when you're starting from with, with no, you know, real relatively no money, you know, I didn't have any kind of investment capital or anything like that. I'm basically just trying to leverage as many free programs as I can that I find, you know, online, uh, as well as, uh, I mean, really those first couple of years, it was, I was no virtually no overhead. Cause I was trying to use as many free, free programs as possible, but it takes time to study all of them, to be exposed to all of the different uh, software programs and platforms and things that you can uh, invest in. And in it, in the, the challenge for me there is that sometimes there's so many of them and you have to rely on reading reviews. You study and compare and contrast the different platforms uh, you know, Infusionsoft, my, my, my Infusionsoft experience would be a good example of that, where it's an, a very, very large investment. Cause once you start going down that path, you, you've invent, now you've invested some serious time and money. You can't just easily go to another platform as, as an example. So th those were the kind of challenges uh, for me, just finding since I'm doing kind of doing everything myself, I have to you know, know a little bit about web, web building, you know, just, a, just, just enough, <laughs> just, just enough where I might not build the whole thing, but I need to be able to speak a, a certain language to web developers so that I can communicate to them what it is that I actually want. And sometimes emails, I mean, you spend more time trying to write an email to a web developer <laughs> as to what you want, like, okay. And uh, just because you're might not be fluent in that language. And so it takes time to do that. And, and I noticed that's what a, what a lot of you, where you lose a lot of people when they start to see that that kind of work and time has to go into it there. You know, you're like, I, they, you know, folks are kind of like, I don't know about <laughs> that's a lot. And it's like, yeah, it, it is a lot, but, uh, but that's, yeah, but people don't, you're bringing back old nightmares for me now, but people don't realize how much easier it is now. The technology is evolving. It makes it a lot easier than when, yeah. you know, when we first started out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Every, yeah, every, it's, yeah, every, with every passing year, 
uh, it gets it gets a little a little easier, yeah, a little more refined. There's more uh, pro software programs and platforms that come into being that uh, that facilitate these things that we want. Where yeah, but I, I I can <laughs> think the first time when I tried to. I mean, there were some really strange apps that I originally tried to use to capture uh, uh, people's email addresses for uh, for a newsletter. I mean, it was something on on WordPress. I don't even remember what it was, but it was so. I mean, it was one of those really complicated plugins that would crash the site and that kind of stuff. And but that was kind of all that was really around. It was, it was I think it was a little bit before Mailchimp got real popular, and then I kind of went in the MailChimp, MailChimp direction, but they, they were sort of, there was a lot of um, limitations there where there were things I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to kind of automate emails and that kind of stuff. And, and they have that now, but they didn't then. And so that's when I made the, you know, I made the, the big decision to go over to Infusionsoft, which, you know, it, it's it's just such such an it was just such an expensive kind of thing. But at the same time, it was an it was an important part in the development of my business because I that's when I was like, okay, I'm really taking this serious now. So we, I have to kind of put up or shut up with with the Infusionsoft, and um, and so taking us back at this point, what and you're just getting it off the ground. What it, when you what were you trying to achieve? So I was trying to get is get the mucus's diet healing system and Professor Arnold Eretz's name and works in front of as many people as possible, but not just indiscriminately, but people that would actually be open to checking it out and looking into the mucus's diet in the practice and. So I started to really look at target markets that I could, that, that were receptive to the mucus's diet at that time and sort of have a different slant because again, trying to find a, a way into the market. Cause that, that's really hard. Sometimes in the beginning, if you're, if there isn't an, an existing market and that's there's already people out there that's that's more popular than you that that are selling more stuff than you then that kind of thing so how can you differentiate yourself from them what are you bringing to the table and so at that originally i was i thought that i might be able to appeal to uh to vegans and so i i donned the my original slogan well, the original slogan was actually mucus free is the way to be. But then I was kind of like, well, let's, let's see if we can get some of these vegans on board. So I called mucus free, the original vegan diet, uh, which is true. But, and I, I wrote an article on it that kind of breaks that down. But what I found was a lot of vegan people that were already vegans were not necessarily ready to get into the mucus diet healing system unless they were sick. So unless they had ailments they were already suffering from, there was kind of this attitude that they were already really advanced. They already don't eat meat, so they, they don't need to push any further. They don't need any more information there. You know, even if, you know, they have their Oreos on the weekend or whatever, they, they're just, they were very happy with where they're at. And so it was, it was hard to communicate with them, but. Well, they have their Pop-Tarts. Yeah, right. The vegan, yeah, vegan Pop-Tarts. 
you know, they yeah. go to Taco Bell and get the, you know, get the vegan burritos. And so they're, they're good. Uh, and so that was, uh, so I was like, okay, well, I think the, that still works. The, the, that, that framing, but I noticed that in, at that time there was the raw foods movement was growing, that there was a really large extremist kind of tilt to it. And what was happening was there was a lot of people that were really kind of getting swept up in the moment as, as things happened with fads. And so they were following a number of these different figures and they would change their, their diets, but they, they weren't transitioning. And so I saw that, okay, this is not going to last really long. So people are going to really be really adamant and act like they're feeling great for a while. But then some of these people are going to start falling off the wagon. So I was like, let, let me, let mucus free life be the place to, to grab you when you fall. <laughs> so, so when you fall and you've, you, you just, you know, you, you had good intentions, you were trying to eat nothing but fruit or the, you know, raw fruits and vegetables and all that, you know, the whole kind of raw foods thing. Well, depending on who you follow, because there's so many different ways to do it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Depend exactly. Depending on, on who you was following. Uh, if, if, and when you start to fall from that, we, there, we have the information. So I would try to plant seeds in some of these communities. So I, online, I became members of, of a lot of the different Facebook groups and, uh, and I would make comments on YouTube channels and stuff and just sort of put myself out there in that targeted community. And that's kind of sort of what started happening where there was, I'd get more and more people that would want to work with me or would come and read the, the books that were from, you know, coming from any number of different raw food programs. And they'd be like, yeah, I did it. And I felt good for, I just heard, would hear the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I did it for a while. I felt really good, but then I started feeling bad and I couldn't do this. And I started having these cravings and that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad you're here because what a lot of people that didn't find us, they would go all the way back to just eating a standard diet again. And, and they would just sort of throw it all, all that away. Like I, I was just extremist nonsense. I fell into that for a while. Now I'm, I'm back. Right. Or they were going into paleo or raw meat. Exactly. All the way to the other side. Yeah. The paleo raw meat, you know, Atkins type of mess. And so that's where I was like, okay, we can catch these folks and say, all right, it's cool that you wanted to be hundred percent raw and that you wanted that you're incorporating more fruits and vegetables and, you know, hopefully you're juicing and that kind of stuff, but let's dial it back. Let's check, take a look at this transition methodology that professor Arnold Eric put in place after working with thousands and thousands of the, the sickest people he had put together a system that anybody could start and follow and make permanent changes and have a better success uh, through a transitional approach and a systematic approach. And, uh, and so that was kind of how I came into finding, you know, you know, finding your audience. We talk about that sometimes is sometimes you have to find your audience and that's, where I was able to find the initial audience, which had its, it did have its limitations. And so uh, one of the, the challenges in that particular period, and I'm thinking about, you know, six, was that five years ago, uh, four or five years ago, 
is uh, uh, I had to frame my discussions in a way that didn't attack raw foodism uh, because then I would turn people off immediately, but to sort of say like, yeah, that, that, that's cool. But if things ever get bad, check out the transition methodology. You know, there's nothing wrong with transitioning. And it was actually really challenging to create a community space where people felt safe posting up a picture of some cooked mucus-free foods because uh, there, there was so much extremism. And it was like, I didn't want to just come out hardcore against it because then I would, I would turn a lot of those folks off. And so I had to try to find a, literally find a way to transition those folks into a, uh, to, <laughs> to Arnold Eretz work because there was so much misinformation and misunderstanding about Eretz work. A lot of people framed him as the, uh, the, the, you know, the all fruit, the fruitarian type of person where if you actually read the mucus's diet, there's a difference in saying that the human species is a frugivorous species, but that doesn't mean that we can all just eat fruit tomorrow and that's it. You know, he, there was a very sophisticated transitional system that he put in place. And so that's where I've tried to lead people uh, to that information. I love it. I, I love where our worlds can come together because I was part of that movement. I was doing the first podcast in health, Raw Vegan Radio, back in 2004. I mean, gosh, I can't even believe there were podcasts back then. But And I was doing it to stay the path and meet other raw food leaders. And so you talk about someone that got to interview all those people and hear all this conflicting advice and be caught up in the whole how raw are you? Are you a hundred percent raw? There was this weird cult like thing about it that I always tried to escape from or stay grounded in reality. There was a whole weird thing that went with that raw food movement. You know what I'm talking about? Definitely. Definitely. And that, and that's where we try. I, it was literally was part of the, the marketing plan and the, the rollout was to appeal to that to, to find a way to appeal to that market and n knowing that a lot of those folks are going to start falling off the wagon to build that into the business plan and say, okay, these <laughs> folks are going to be falling off. This is gonna, uh, you know, th this is not sustainable. So it's not going to just be last indefinitely. So, uh, but like I said, I had to kind of thread the needle in terms of how how to communicate with uh, especially a large group of people, uh, because you know I have a, one of the things I'm most proud of with with our with our movement and the folks that plug into Mucus Free Life is is the diversity from we got you know diverse racial backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, uh, political leanings. You know we just is a lot of diversity, which can make it hard on one, you, you think a, a little bit more sensitivity and education has to be involved uh, because uh, what a lot of these more cult-like type of followings in these little groups afford people is the, uh, uh, the ability to not have to think so much because if everybody is in chorus saying the same talking points and everything, then it's sort of, you know, everybody's just sort of slapping each other on the back saying, okay, you're, you're great. You, you speak the language. We're all on the same page. 
So we would always kind of come and say it, like, okay, I acknowledge that language, but I'm purposely not going to talk like that. Like per, we're purposely looking at these things differently and, and it forces people that are tuning in or trying to converse to, to change. And you actually learn, you know, I call it like the Socratic method, but you learn through that, that new socialization through conversation. Uh, and, and so that was a, a big part of like with the Facebook group where uh, we would you know have these dialogues and, and when I would have dialogues with people, that's why, you know, one of my books, I got the word dialogue in there because I'm looking back at these old Plato uh, Socratic method, you know, so, the Socrates, those dialogues, Platonic dialogues. And I was like, that's an excellent way to to reason and for people to learn and and, and to actually change the paradigm to shift over from one way of viewing things to another way. And, uh, and so that it's, so that would kind of be the educational where, where the marketing and the sales interest met with the curricular interest of really wanting people to learn, um, and not just parrot what I'm saying or learn what I'm doing, but it's, it's kind of a tall order, <laughs> but I really try to encourage people to learn how to think for themselves and to the old, the age old tradition of logic, uh, you know, the long lost art form of being able to think through things logically yourself. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm always kind of trying to promote that, but, uh, you know, but those, those have been some, some of the challenges definitely is just dealing with all of these different backgrounds. And like you were talking about people, so much conflicting information and you get some people that are so, hardcore on one thing and hardcore on another and without civil dialogue it just turns into arguing and so well, there was also a weird thing that happens with by the way thank you for that that's such a great methodology but there was also that godlike complex that a lot of the leaders in the raw food movement they almost like it's my way or no way and people followed them like sheep to the slaughter and um but anyway, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that because I love the work you're doing. And another thing you reminded me of was like in those early episodes of Raw Vegan Radio, I was bringing in, um, I would play like these old commercials that were real commercials, like for these pharmaceuticals or cigarettes or just the irony of it all. And what I loved that first drew me to your work was the creativity you were bringing into your podcast and messaging with, you know, the, the doctor character that you play. And I'm like, wow, he's really into it. He's passionate and he's, he's creative. He's, he's bringing his creativity to the table. And that was something I noticed right from the beginning. Yeah. And, and, and that's another part of kind of who I am. And then, and the, a lot of the fun part, you know, I'm, I really view myself as a creator first and foremost, and I like just creating new things, whether it's music, video, businesses, you know, constitutions for organizations. You know I mean, what, whatever it is, dissertations, thesis, you know, for me, it's all, about a creative process, you know, they, it's all sort of part of the same body of work that I relate to again from, from childhood when I was feeling the best was when I was creating something. And I, there's, I got cassette tapes of me. 
I used to record myself like I was a radio host when I was you know four or five years old. Uh, I was, you know, I got the, you know, I'm recording and I'm acting like I'm talking on the radio and uh, performing live. You know, I had this little, uh, a little toy guitar and I'm playing and singing, kind of making things up off the top of my head, trying to improvise and sing. And, uh, and I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I, I thought, I actually thought that that's how everybody made music. Like, I didn't know that people would learn things ahead of time. I thought that everybody sort of just used this uh, telepathy to improvise everything on the spot. <laughs> and so, and, uh, and so interestingly, you know, the field, the direction of music I went into was where that does occur uh, in the, the improvisation art form. But, uh, but yeah, I always thought that, uh, you know, some of my musical interests and an artistic interest from you know, groups like Art Ensemble Chicago and, and Sun Ra. I mean, if you, if and a lot of people don't know who those, those folks are, you know, if you check out Sun Ra, if you check out Art Ensemble Chicago, you look at some of the uh, jazz music, the spiritual jazz music and movement that was happening in the late 60s and the 70s, it, it gets really clear where a lot of my influence comes from. Cause I was so immersed into that culture, you know, into that time period. And I just love the creativity uh, of that time period. And so, uh, yeah, with the, with the colors and, you know, I basically taught myself, which is one of the best things that I ever, that I probably ever did was uh, when I taught myself how to video edit, and I did that when I was back in, um, uh, was that, that had been when I was doing my first master's degree at College Conservatory of Music. I recorded our, uh, my master's performance, uh, thesis performance. Uh, we recorded it uh, with my band. And then I, I, just, I spent just, just weeks and hours and hours going to their studio and learning how to use that sort of the pr primitive version of, uh, of, a, of Adobe Premiere. And, uh, and, and it turned out really good, you know, and, and kind of professional. And I literally just sort of sat there and, and figured things out. And so now that's the closest thing that I think I have to a hobby is probably video editing. Cause I, I've never studied it formally. I don't really have an interest to study it formally. I like to envision what I want to see and then see if I can do it, uh, with, with the editing tools. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's important to me to, to be expressive, to, to not hold back, uh, you know, to have fun with, with the creativity, with what you're making, whether if it's, you know, some kind of Im imagery and videos and what you're wearing, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. So what kind of mindset is needed to run your own business? You need to, have a mindset of <laughs> is I guess I don't know it might even depend on on the business but for me it just is a hardcore mindset of you know not giving up not uh you know when you know somebody says oh you can't do that or that's not you know you you don't have that you you're a problem solver uh, to the highest of levels, you're always thinking like, okay, this is what I kind of want to do, but how do you get it done as opposed to, you know, cause I, one of the things that I think is hard for some people, which I I've learned to do over, over
over years and years because I, I have always sort of been forward thinking and I would tell people things that I thought would happen or some visions of things or stuff. Then, um, and I would get like ridiculed and people would just attack me. Uh, and I noticed that also when you start sometimes telling people about uh, you know, business plans and things like that. If you're talking to the wrong person, they will shut you down. And, uh, and so I, I, I learned how to keep things to myself and only talk about them with the right people that were going to be supportive, that were going to be helpful and to not necessarily just indiscriminately talk to a bunch of different people about things that haven't happened yet. You know, things that are, that are still concepts. Uh, Cause like, you know, you know, when I would first start, started talking about publishing my own books or even starting a business, there were some people that were even maybe kind of close to me that just didn't understand that at all. They're just like, well, you can't do that. Like, how, what are you talking about? You don't have a book deal. You can't, you don't have this. You're not, you know, you, you don't have uh, a degree in, you know, in, in that field, like, what are you doing? And so I just, one of those people that learned how to just keep quiet, focus on the work. And then I kind of, you know, tell everybody about it later, <laughs> you know, like all the people you would normally maybe want to talk about. And that, and that was hard because there is that part where you, you get excited and you want to share with like, you love, with your loved ones, people close. You're like, Hey, check this out. This is so cool. And, and it's one of those just kind of unfortunate things where I had to learn that, I, I can't, I have to sometimes keep that to myself until it's fully formed. Uh, because you know, I, I, I want to protect it. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, when you start to share those kinds of things, if you're, if you're a little, you know, sometimes you can get sensitive about your creations and your ideas. And if you're not, oh, you know, if it's not something that you're looking for criticism for yet, <laughs> then, but somebody gives you a bunch of it, then it, it can sort of take the, you know, take the air out of your tires. And so, uh, so that's, that's been something that I, when I think about a, a unique kind of thing that, that I don't hear a ton of people talk about, but that's definitely something that's helped me was just to just do it and talk about it later uh, when there was, uh, you know, ideas like that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Now I wish I had heard that way back. <laughs> And seriously, I mean, if you're listening to this at home, trust me, you're you're getting that's a golden nugget right there. That and that alone, because the words of someone can really hold you back uh, if we hold on to what they're saying. You really have to have a thick skin in that kind of way. Or not say anything like Professor Spear, which I I had to learn the hard way. So thank you for that. And um, mindset is everything. We have a, a motto here. Find a way, whatever it is. And in those darkest days, like as we were building our business and my bank account was dipping lower and lower and I was really in a state of fear, the motto became find a way. Do you find that helpful? Definitely. Definitely. That's, that's it. So if you could give yourself the young Professor Spira advice about starting your business, what would it be if you can go back to the five-year-old and, or what, well, maybe 13, whatever, what advice would you give? My advice would be to start uh, which is something that we've talked about <laughs> that, uh, is to start uh, thinking in terms of building systems for, so from, from your business. Cause that's what you're doing. And that's what I've always done, but I wasn't thinking about it like that. <laughs> you know, I was, 
Yeah. And, and so you can kind of, you can just feel like you're sort of just like, you're always reinventing the wheel all the time where it's like, okay, I know that I've heard other people say this, but I have this particular need that I haven't necessarily heard other people have. So, you know, then you, you create a way uh, to a solution, which is, uh, and, and that solution is usually a system uh, in some way, shape, or form. Now, for those that aren't, you know, that didn't, that are not in the, on that conversation, what, what is a system for those? Like, what does he mean system? So system is, uh, it, I mean, s- systems are everywhere. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, one way that you can look at the world is through the filter of a system. So if you turn on a faucet in your house, the, how did you get that water? There's a system involved that got you that water. You turn on a light switch and the lights come on. There is a sophisticated system that's behind all that. Uh, with your body, the circulatory system, the digestive system, within the context of a business, when you have something like, you know, okay, you have to, you have to deal with your taxes and, and you have to sort of deal with expenses and all that kind of stuff. Uh, do you, you, you could either just sort of haphazardly put everything in a folder and then maybe at the end of the year, you try to go through it and, and write things down and, and, and be a mess, or you can systematize that process and, 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 and you don't have that mess. You know, it's like things get done as, as they're supposed to get done. Uh, or if you're creating something, uh, you know, in, as an art. And I think my, what I brought to this as well as the mucus diet healing system, uh, is this ability to, uh, to think, think in terms of, uh, of, uh, of the, of gradual systems that can work with other systems and ultimately, uh, lead to a, uh, you know, just lead to an organism, you know, because an organism is basically a bunch of different systems, uh, put, put together, working, working in tandem. It was interesting when I brought you the idea and we talked about it, I didn't make that connection that you it's the mucus diet healing system. I didn't even realize it was right there too. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Cause I would talk about, I had just never really consciously thought about, thought about it that deeply within terms of setting up systems for my business, which again, it was something that I was already doing, but with that turn of, of attention and consciousness, all of a sudden I was able to, start to, uh, to, to really do it with intention and do it better than I was doing it before, you know, cause you can improve, you know, the systems allow you to constantly refine because you evaluate a system that's in place and you say, okay, well, what, uh, how can I improve this? Uh, you know, a good example of maybe a better example of a system that people would know about would say, if you do have a, if you could, use an automation software to collect email addresses, you know, that that's a, you, that's a system that you, you set up, you have a piece of software, but you have to set up how, how that data is coming in, where it's going, how it's being used. You know, that's all part of what you set up, you know, part of your, part of your system. 
And uh, so when you start to look at your business as a series of systems, then it can start to really change your, your efficiency. So you're not doing everything by yourself. Now we can do a whole show on systems. So I'm going to tell you, uh, for you listening at home, the book that I had recommended to Professor Spira, which was Work the System. That was the first book that we talked about. And right. Do you think that's a good place for those that want to go deeper on that? Definitely. Yeah. Ex- excellent book. Yeah. Excellent book. Matt. And you can, yeah, you find that right online and, uh, yeah, great, great book it was totally, uh, just, it was right, right on time and right on point. And, and the thing that's interesting with that too is, see, I would tell my younger self to be thinking about that, but I, I wouldn't, uh, if I would have been th- Thinking about that over this time, the efficiency, I would have been able to grow faster. My efficiency would have been better. But at the same time, there there is a time and place for you to start sort of amping up things when you when it's time to grow. Because you in the beginning, you do do a lot of stuff by yourself. If, if you're uh, in business by yourself or if you're in business with another person, you know, it's a couple people doing doing everything. But there's a certain point where if you're going to grow anymore, you're, you're going to have to change some things and your systems have to get more efficient, get some more people involved. And so that was where I was at, where I I'd kind of went, took, took things as far as I could take it the way I was doing it. So I had to be open and, and that, uh, that flexibility or a plasticity, uh, to be able to move and change. That's another important uh, attribute of great entrepreneurs because you you do have to constantly be vigilant evaluating the market evaluating new technologies i mean i'm always i'm learning about new softwares that i may or m- might use or may not use you know but I, I try to stay uh abreast of of all that that kind of stuff you know and that becomes part of the actual job you know as part of the the work that you have to uh, have to do and what's your advice for those just starting out? They want to lead their own. They want to fire start their own health rev- revolution. They want to get their message out. What's your advice to those just starting out? Is to to get started, <laughs> to just start recording. You know, every everything doesn't have to be perfect, uh, which would probably be another thing I would rec- I would tell myself when I was younger, <laughs> but because I'm kind of a perfectionist with stuff. But you know, everything doesn't have to be perfect. It's better to put your ideas down and get them out. But I'm also a huge advocate of studying and researching. You really have to know your stuff. You have to uh, take some time because there, there, there are some people out here that try to, uh, that try to become guru figures and promoters of some, a particular diet or something way before they've really mastered the information and the practice of it themselves. And, and in some, in some cases, and you see this sometimes in younger folks and that kind of stuff, but they're, it's like they are trying to promote something as a way for them to learn it themselves. They also get a little ego trip <laughs> out of, you know, trying to, you know, get, getting a following and stuff. But my recommendation is to really focus on your studies. So if, if your area of expertise is, you know, whatever, whatever element, you know, if your area of expertise is a massage, massage therapy, and you're incorporating juicing into that or some, or mucus diet or whatever, you know, you, you, you want to be able to really understand 
those those fields that you're involved in on a deep level, not just the surface level, but where you really go deep with it. And then when you start to record yourself talking about these things and producing some promotional content and videos and that kind of stuff or products, then you will really be poised to be able to uh, to make a dent and really help and help a lot of people. Well, I stole this line from Bob Dylan and I use it in my webinar when we teach people about this, this very topic and it's know your song well before you start singing, you know, and that, that's the way. Professor Spira, what, uh, what achievement are you most proud of? Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I, it's hard to say one thing. I, I can kind of say things in different fields. So in the academic field, I'm probably most proud of my, my, my bachelor's degree. And, and uh, even though, you know, I went on to get two, two master's degrees and a PhD, that initial bachelor's degree what sort of signifies the time period of transformation when I'd gotten into the mucus's diet and a lot of the hardships and the social uh, isolation and the things that I was going through in that process. And, and even, you know, I was, you know, when I was in school, <laughs> when I, was, I was against the grain uh, as I was at college conservatory of music. And I was, I just was not an average type of student. I was someone, I put a lot of pressure on my, uh, professors to you, you, they, they, you I, to think differently and to deal with me differently. You know, I was looking at them as, you know, I'm hiring them to teach me as opposed to sort of the, the, the academic social structure is set up in such a way where, you know, the professors are on such high pedestals and the students, you're just supposed to go and keep your head down and just try to do good on your test and that kind of stuff. And I just came with a whole different energy which uh, sometimes made it, made it challenging to, to persevere through that. So within the academic world, I would say that, uh, yeah, that bachelor's degree means a lot to me, but uh, just generally speaking out, outside of that, if I had to pick just the, just one thing uh, I, I would say my, uh, uh, my, my trombone, you know, my, my music making uh, and, and what I, what I do in that realm, you know, and, and per, you know, I'm just real, uh, you know, proud of, of going down that path of not, of not being scared away saying, you know, there, there's, there's no guarantee of making money trying to, you know, play jazz music, which is not, a, you know, not a popular music at all. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, so some of the achievements that I've, I've, uh, got over in that realm. Yeah. And you showed those teachers who didn't pull you out of the class because you weren't good enough. And it's it reminded me of my own story because I had the same situation and ended up with a master's degree. But back then, well, he's a buffoon, this guy. But yeah, you showed them, Professor Spira. What was the biggest transformation that happened along the way from launching the business and something that maybe was unexpected? What was your biggest transformation? I know you said spiritual evolving that happened, but what was the biggest transformation? So, uh, yeah, so with the, yeah, the, the diet, cause that all, you know, yeah, it's all connected. Uh, so my biggest transform transformation definitely was when I started practicing the mucus diet, cause I was way overweight, was almost 300 pounds and had chronic migraine headaches, uh, every day and allergies had been on pharmaceutical medications, uh, you know, kind of all, all of, uh, the story that, that we all tell about where we come from. 
And then once I got into the mucus's diet healing system, you know, I lost a bunch of weight, got off all of those pharmaceutical medications, just totally transformed my, uh, my existence. And so that was, uh, you know, that, that even, even that in itself started to prepare me for what I would do with mucus free life and, and being an entrepreneur later. Cause you know, one thing that's interesting to think about is what's the, what's the, how do you compare and contrast leadership versus entrepreneurship? And for me, cause you can have, there, there are some entrepreneurs that are not necessarily leaders and it just depends on the kind of, you know, business, the kind of work they're doing. Uh, but then there's a lot of people that are great leaders, but they might not be able to run a business at all, you know? And so I've found though, that when you can have both, both of those elements be, being a leader as well as a, uh, somebody with those, those business skills, uh, to be an entrepreneur, that's really going to help you in the long run. So I had a lot of leadership training where I, I'd say I had a, the opportunity to grow as a leader, especially in, in high school when I was in the boy Scouts and uh, some of the things that I did there. Then when I got into the mucus's diet, it was things that I had learned which was one of the things I had learned about leadership was you have to be prepared to be on an Island sometimes where you're, you're going to be alone and, and you have to be comfortable with that, you know, comfortable, not always being a part of, of the social kind of situation, or sometimes you're making decisions that might be uh, that other people might not like. And so you have to be able to, to be strong uh, strong with that. And so that helped me with some of the social challenges of just starting the mucus's diet back in, you know, 2002, when it was really, uh, it was way before all of this vegan type, you know, the veganism stuff and, uh, of the past, you know, 10 years and, you know, five, 10 years and raw foodism and all that is way before that got really, put it like this, like you had your podcast, there was, there was, it was starting to happen, but you, you couldn't walk into a store and see the word vegan anywhere yet. You know, it wasn't mainstream. It wasn't acceptable. And so, uh, so I, a, as a leader, I was just like, well, look, I'm, I'm not going to change who I am to try and make other people comfortable or to try to fit into this little mainstream narrative. I'm going to be who I am. And if people like it, fine. If they don't, fine. You know, I just, and, and that's kind of this attitude is a certain type of kind of hardcore attitude. And that definitely helped me once I started really working with the business. Cause again, there's so many people, it's like when you start doing things that are interesting and, and really great, or if you have these aspirations, you know, haters are real, you know, it's like these, these folks come out the woodwork to try to tear you down. And so that, those early experiences of that initial transformation really kind of gave me the strength that I needed when it was time to really put the pedal to the metal and, and grow the business. Professor Spear right here on Juicy Pure Radio. The website again, www.mucusfreelife.com. Is that the best way for us to follow you, Professor Spear? Yeah, if you go to yeah, www.mucusfreelife.com, sign up for our insider club 
uh, news, you know, get you get the newsletter, and you know, just kind of keep in touch. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, if you just type in Professor Spira, I I should pop up on on those different platforms. And so, which whichever platform you you like, uh, yeah, the Instagram has been kind of blowing up a little bit, but in uh, YouTube, and that's I've been putting a lot more time into YouTube lately because I. I kind of got away from it for a while. And even though I have a pretty, you know, I mean, for me, it's, it's a, a decent number of, of followers, uh, but I really think I could grow that. And so I've been putting a lot more time over, over in that direction. So, uh, so yeah, but you can find me uh, all, all over, <laughs> yeah, all over social media and uh, definitely mucusfreelife.com will direct you in all those different, different paths. Awesome. Fresh Spirit, thank you so much for being here. The incredible work you're doing. And yeah, I'm really, I, this interview was great. I knew it would be. So thank you again for your time and energy here. Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Visit JuiceGuru.com to learn more and start building your health empire today.